And welcome back, folks, to our second episode of Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gregory, and we're delighted to have you with us today. A couple things have happened since uh, the last time we recorded. We're on iTunes now. So if you're not already subscribed to our podcast on iTunes, I encourage you to go to that search bar of yours and type in Make Mine. And uh, we're right next to another another fun podcast called Make Mine Man Love, which is three people who sit around and talk about how to write gay romance novels. Uh, I foresee a crossover episode in our future. So if you want to be a part of that, subscribe, keep listening, and uh, keep following us as we keep going. We're a podcast dedicated to all things Marvel, all, all things uh, current as Marvel is in the midst of their legacy relaunch. And in looking at some of... Uh, our favorite past Marvel stories and looking at some news, looking at some fun television and movie stuff uh, as it comes up today, we're going to be looking at the second part of this episode uh, in um, I guess in response or in in looking at the fact that uh, Netflix is putting out uh, its newest uh, Marvel cinematic universe show, a Punisher show. We're going to be looking at one of the first arcs of, uh, Garth Ennis's uh, Mar- uh, Punisher Max storyline. the in the beginning arc uh, from Garth Ennis and Louis LaRosa. So if you'd like to follow along with that, if you haven't read that, I encourage you when we get to the second part of this episode to to pause and to uh, and to to read that and to come back come back with us. Um, every pot every episode we have uh, a couple members from our multiversity comics family and so today with us we have nick palmieri and uh james johnson how are you both guys doing today doing pretty good this is nick doing all right this is james johnston all right well guys why don't you take a couple minutes and just uh introduce yourselves tell us where you're coming from uh how long you've been reading comics for and, and what are some of your favorite uh favorite marvely things so so nick we'll we'll start with you cool so uh yeah my name is nick palmieri um, I've been reading comics since, uh, since probably middle school, but I've been like into the single issues probably for the last decade. Um, yeah. So in terms of Marvel, I've only really been trying to get more into Marvel stuff over the last year. Uh, I've always been really a DC guy. I've gone like really deep into their back catalog and, uh, yeah, after that, I started going like into a lot of different independent publishers, um, and I, I feel like it's, it's about time that I really start to dig into Marvel. So, um, yeah, that's where I am right now. I mean, as far as Marvel runs that I've read and liked, um, I really like the uh, Matt Fraction Hawkeye. I like the uh, Fraction Brewbreaker uh, Iron Fist stuff. I really like the current Miss Marvel run. Um, yeah, so that's about it. Very cool. Very cool. And James? Yeah, I've been uh, kind of reading comic books since, like, before I can really remember. I think the first book I actually remember picking up was The Road to Civil War Trade Paperback. That was just, like, the Illuminati sitting around a table uh, and talking about things happening in other comic books. So I guess I've always just been used to, like, trade tie-ins where nothing happens. Uh, With Marvel, (laughs) I've was pretty into DC for a long, long time. Then when Marvel did their first uh, all-new reboot or whatever, back in 2012, when Hickman took over Avengers, uh, Superior Spider-Man started coming out, I was all in on them. 
Uh, and then I got to say around 2015 when Secret Wars started and Hickman was winding down on Avengers, I just started I just started kind of blanking on Marvel for a long, long time. Uh, if you read Multiversity, you might know that I uh, am undergoing a personal like vision quest or like uh, like just like self torturing kind of thing where I just like keep reviewing Marvel's uh, big crossovers, even though I really don't want to. Uh, you might have seen the recap <laughs> Secret Empire for some reason. Uh, oh, and that was that was hilarious. Best part was of- it. <laughs> That's part of, I I, really I don't remember how the, writing uh, half of those, and that sounds like really really dramatic. Like, oh, Secret Empire is just so bad. But I started off writing those like, <laughs> um, I started off writing those like recap columns for Marvel stuff, and it kind of I like from a place of joy where it's like, haha, this is like so bad it's fun, but we're all having a good time. Or like, oh, this is a comic I really enjoy. And my secret empire, I'm just so sick of everything that uh, I just like, I, I like, I forgot to write jokes sometimes. I think I just said like, this happens <laughs> and it sucks. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was cynical enough that it was hilarious, but. Uh... Yeah. I, I've been following multiversity since like within its first year of existence. So like James, I've been reading your work probably since it first started showing up on the site. Um, and since I, I was a senior in high school. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, but I feel like I could really tell by the time that you got to like the end of those Man in the Hydra Castle columns, like you were really just feeling that fatigue. <laughs> Especially because with my own life, um, I just said that I started writing for Multiversity my senior year of high school, which was when Marvel like really popped off with the... I'm just going to keep saying all new, all different. I don't know if that's the reboot they were using. I think it was Marvel now, but it's all the same thing. Uh, that reboot that really got me excited. Uh, and then I started mm. going into college. I graduated college. Uh, I'm now like a year out from college. College, And I just find it so hard to really like get invested in like a lot of Marvel stuff when it's, not, it's just not for me anymore. So if I have like a unique perspective in this trio, it's like the jaded outsider who could be one back, but it's going to take a lot. <laughs> well, we need all we need all the different perspectives and I and I think it's I think that's what a lot of what of what legacy is trying to do is to is to get people back in the same vein that, that when DC did rebirth it was to bring people back. I mean, um I feel like so yeah, over oh, this past year I feel like Marvel I mean, maybe not. I guess what I'm saying is I really like their uh, diversity push, not necessarily because of the diversity push, although that is cool, but because I feel like it has brought in a good amount of new and interesting voices. And I see how that's pushing some people away. But honestly, that's kind of what made me more interested in the comics. Yeah, and I liked a lot. I, I also appreciate um, a lot of the diversity stuff because one of the reasons I loved DC Comics back before the New Fifty Two was because the idea of legacy was so prevalent in their comics that it really felt like the entire universe with its own rich history and stuff. Uh, but I don't know. I think one of the one of the things that like kind of like made me like not into a lot of Marvel comics was a lot of them just kind of felt like the same formula of 
here's an old hero who's been back for a while and they're living in the big city. Hope they can chill with their friends and like also solve some problems. Um, does that make any sense? Yeah, that, that, uh, absolutely. And that's why I feel like, like I haven't gone as deep into more recent Marvel stuff as I yeah, feel like because, maybe I should have. Yeah, because uh, some of it does have a very self-deprecating kind of way. Like how in all the movies, uh, not just Marvel movies, but every action Marvel, every action movie nowadays kind of has that Seth Rogen thing where like we kind of laugh about every other line that we've said. Mm-hmm. And a lot, a lot of, of Marvel's newest stuff does toe that line of like, isn't it funny how we're in a superhero comic book right now? <laughs> I don't have any specific examples, but it's this vibe that I don't really like that isn't in mm-hmm. every Marvel comic book. There's still some good stuff coming out, uh, but it's one of the reasons I can't get into stuff that's supposed to be really good, like Squirrel Girl, for example, or Hellcat. Sure. Also, my sure. rant well, was talking to me. That, that point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, hey. No, I'm kidding. Ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, um, I th- I think I think you speak, you know, to that point of that a lot of it definitely feels a, very derivative from from some of their movies and it and it feels like they brought in a lot of those themes and it does kind of feel like Seth Rogen's writing a lot of of Marvel comics right now, but um I don't know. I, I I'm optimistic, but we can we can get down the rabbit hole um, for a while. If we keep going, but let's go ahead and we'll transition a little bit. So for this first pers- this pers- first part of the show, we're we're going to kind of tackle some of the the big news things that have come out in the month of November, um, and we'll get to the big one. Uh, but first, we're going to start out uh, with so with the news that that the the adult Jean Grey, the real Jean Grey, is is coming back um, in in at the end of December and in January and the uh, little event Phoenix resurrection uh, Marvel has announced a new X-Men title that's spinning out of that event called X-Men red to be written by Tom Taylor with art by uh, Mamadas Rar. Um, it's going to feature an all new X-Men team of the adult Jean Grey um, of Laura and Gabby Kinney. So the, the all new Wolverine X-23 and her, uh, her uh, clone sister Gabby that Tom Taylor has been writing in All New Wolverine, uh, the Wakandan mutant Gentle, uh, Namor the Submariner, uh, Nightcrawler, and then a new a new mutant who's never before debuted named Trinary. Um, so, guys, what do you think of of this team, or what do you think of this this comment that comic that that I love what you out? said didn't mean anything to me besides Namor. <laughs> Okay, yeah, and, um, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I read the uh Hawkeye number twelve the other day, um, which just came out and mm-hmm. had Gabby and uh I'm blanking on the name of the other one, the all new Wolverine, those two. Yeah, Laura. Um Laura. They were cool. <laughs> I mean Tom I'm more excited about Tom Taylor. Yeah. Um just because I always mm-hmm. hear really good things, particularly from people who don't read DC comics. Um coming in with injustice which he wrote and uh really liking that so i feel like maybe he can do that same sort of thing for me with marvel Mm -hmm. yeah no i think uh his injustice stuff has all been really really great and that's kind of been my i guess big lens into into tom taylor and i've been reading all new wolverine um since whatever it was relaunched that that started 
Um, and it's been pretty good. And I like that, that dynamic that he set up between uh, Laura and Gabby. I think it's, it's really interesting. I kind of, I didn't expect him, him to be one of those people uh, at Marvel to, to kind of step into this, into this role that's now being created of being one of those, those creators that's going to start doing some of these bigger books. Um, but I'm excited for it. I think it'll be kind of a cool thing. Yeah. It's, here's the cynic again uh i i mean just like looking at it on like a first glance view which is how i feel a lot of like consumers or whatever will look at it i'm not a huge fan of how every x-men book is now just here's a team and the like hook or premise of that like group of x-men isn't readily apparent to me does Mm -hmm. that make sense yeah like with uh (laughs) i've been reading astonishing x-men i have no idea who most of the characters are i i mean i know them from the movies but i don't really like know them you know and uh yeah i have yeah, no I idea why they're all together X-Men was a team oh, sorry what was that i didn't even understand i didn't even know astonishing x-men was a team mm-hmm. i just understand that there's like x-men blue x-men gold astonishing x-men uncanny x-men uncanny avengers mm-hmm. uh exciting x-men big boy mm-hmm. x-men cool ranch x-men uh X women, cool ranch X women, like, yeah. well, I <laughs> make mine man, man love, love X men. The uh, X men <laughs> blue actually seemed cool to me, but I just I haven't tried it out. I like the fact that they're all young, and then I mean I've been reading Iceman, so I know a little bit about that whole situation um, with the younger X men. Um, mm. I mean, number one, I just like I generally like younger characters. Um, and I just think that that's a cool concept. Like these people who haven't, because the X-Men has a lot of uh, complex history. And so to have these people who haven't yet had that put into this world where there are people who have, I think that's pretty cool. But again, I haven't really tried the book out to be able to say. It started like five years ago though, right? Like with the whole all new X-Men being but... drug up from the past. Yeah, Ooh, so that was that was a Bendis thing um, when that started. <laughs> no, yeah, I yeah, I think that was, was. You're I'm like a, a real, real person. person. I'm, um, <laughs> I'm on a comics podcast. I don't know how real I am. This is true. Um, yeah, that was a Bendis thing. I think back in whatever relaunch era that was. I think it was the first Marvel now, and in, in it was, I think it started yeah. 2012. Um, yeah, and they have. And they haven't gone home yet. Because that was when they were um, still doing that really awesome thing where uh, Scott and Logan were like the new Professor X and Magneto with like a schism. Yeah. Uh, and they had all this awesome yep. stuff yep. at the school. And then all of a sudden it was, hey, we brought back like the original five as teens. And everyone was like, Hank, Beast, why would you do this? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That. So I haven't been reading any of any of the the current X books really, except except Wolverine, um, just because I, I really like Tom Taylor. Um, but from what I've heard and from reading like the the Mutantversity podcast or the the Mutantversity column on uh, on Multiversity, who's written by Jess Camacho, who's on the podcast last time, um, it sounds like there's there's some good stuff happening. It sounds like it's kind of harkening back to that era of X Men that that people that people like or that people um, enjoy that like nineties period where they kind of got it right. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, th- I think this book is going to be, I think it's, I'm, I'm optimistic for it. I really like Tom Taylor. So 
Um, this might be one of the before team books we, I check uh, out. Move on so, to the next yeah. topic. I'm just gonna search Twitter to make sure that this hasn't been done before. Yep, uh, I think that uh, Tom Taylor's next books should be Soldier Spy. Do you get it? Tom Taylor Soldier Spy, like Tinker Taylor Soldier uh, Spy. There it is. That's the joke. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, there's the beef of it. Good one. Good one. Good one. Um, cool. So, well, so moving on, Marvel has also announced, uh, it was actually this last week. Um, James, you'll like this. It's the, the, uh, after another aftermath of secret empire in uh, a new empire? doctor strange. What is, is secret empire? I what was it? What happened? Fully nude on this Do screen. we know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they've announced a, a five issue, uh, event series from, from Nick Spencer, Secret Empire writer extraordinaire Donnie Cates and then artist Rod Rice. It's called Doctor Strange Damnation. And uh, basically Stephen Strange goes to Vegas. Ha ha ha. Um, and it was destroyed in Secret Empire. And he was like, I'm going to bring this back. And then Meph- apparently Meph- Mephisto, 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 whatever the the the, the devil, Mephisto, uh, uh, you know, the, the devil or whatever in, in Marvel, the Marvel comics gets pissed because he really liked Vegas. And then they fight it out. Um, and that's going to begin in February. Um, thoughts on thoughts Why is on there that? Like five events going on in February because there's that. There's the thing where like Wolverine, who's back from the dead. I don't want to know how. Is it has like Infinity Stones mm-hmm. and is going to be in post credit scenes for comics now because we can't just say oh backup stories anymore. Uh, no, no post credit scenes for your little cool. paper movie. <laughs> It's we're going full pomo, full postmodern. It's post credit scenes. It's it's not backup stories. That's yeah, um, yeah. They do have a lot of a lot of events and a lot of like crossovery things and like tie-ins going on uh, in January, February. But they're not like event events, I guess, because they're not the like the big Secret Empire There's level still things events. I'm gonna look at, um, get exhausted, and then go back to like playing 2007 RuneScape, like. Literally anything. Take you back to a time before all these events. I don't think it's. <laughs> I uh, I really liked the um that yeah. first issue of Donny Cates' Doctor Strange, oh. and I was like, oh, this is gonna be like a really cool uh self-contained run. And then like literally that night, I see an article posted saying that there's gonna be like this big crossover event starring Doctor Strange by that writer. So it's probably gonna tie into that. And I got like a little pissed, <laughs> but um. I don't know. I'll, I'll check it out, I guess. It's also... It's so baller of Nick Spencer to yeah. spend, like, the last year and a half of his life defending Hydra Cap as, like, a really important thing Marvel's doing and not just, like, blatantly throwing paint at the wall. Uh, and then as soon as Secret Empire is over, he writes an entire issue that's like, yeah, it was pretty stupid, wasn't it? Did you see that? <laughs> there was like a one shot that went yeah. under the radar for me oh. where it's just saying straight up it's it's literally just reprinting like everything i said in in man in the hydra castle about how like so much of secret empire just doesn't work uh, and j- him just like listing it in a comic book and then like having miles morales do like a winky face at the camera and then it's like i bought five more dollars to be validated paid five more dollars of comics but you oh, feel good about amazing. yourself right 
I love it when I I, I love it when I pick oh. up a, cart, a, a cartoon book, uh, and the the angry man on the Twitter uh, tells me that yes, I was right for thinking that his interpretation of the big flag boy was indeed very bad, uh, and that in, uh, all, <laughs> the many tweets I made over the past eighteen months in order to defend Jack Kirby's feelings were not in vain, sir. <laughs> oh oh my god you're you're a hero you you won you've you have you have felled the the nick mighty spencer. nick spencer um warrior of the now 280 characters wait wait hold up hold up did nick spencer lock his twitter nick spencer, oh he might have i haven't seen nick him on spencer the internet in a really twitter, long time. Uh, like put set his twitter to protect it i'm gonna see if he Does lets he me follow him followers yeah, we have to wait. Oh, okay. He has twenty. He has like a little less than thirty thousand, which is still like too much. So it's locked to new people. Oh man. Yeah. I used to really like. I used, yeah. Uh, I thought Nick Spencer was really good, and then when the Hydrocap thing started, uh, his mind just broke with ever how much like harassment he got and he became so online. And I think that's what happened with mm-hmm. Secret Empires. He became too online. And then Morning Glories fell apart. <laughs> yeah I, I can't even touch yeah I think and, and that happen, that seems to happen to a lot of like comic creators like the more like the more that they get they get online and the more they have to like defend things like the worse some of their stuff that's gets. why the best comic that's why the best comic writers are like cranky like cranky people from like the UK who have never been online yeah, that's why Grant Morrison doesn't even know what the internet is. Someone uh, someone described it's someone described it's the internet stuff. to Grant Morrison once, and he just thought they were describing the Invisibles back to him. And he was like, "I was, was going to say book? something like that." <laughs> yeah, like his his world view. Is that. <laughs> oh, uh, the the internet doesn't matter when you live on the fourth dimensional plane of existence. Yeah. And like, so, you know, Alan Moore doesn't even um, get email; he just still gets like carrier ravens. <laughs> he doesn't have you something like that mind, but he does oh. have like a small changeling boy who comes to his like manor every like two weeks to describe like snapchat videos to him so he can like get secondhand amusement anyway <laughs> i think i found a vein i really Perfect. like here oh i'm done talking about marvel i want to hear more <laughs> about like how ancient old comic book writers use the internet through changeling boys uh, we need to. We'll have a we'll have a whole podcast dedicated All right, we'll to set this aside for now. comic writers on the internet. Yeah. Okay. A um, couple more small news things before we get into uh, fun Bendis news. Um, so, like you mentioned earlier, James. So Marvel put on a couple of of teasers and other small things in the last week or so. Um, they're hyping a what they're calling the wedding of the century. It's going to take place it's in June there. of 2018. Fourth wedding of the century uh, this year. I have no idea. Something like that. Okay, first off, the final wedding of the century is going to be Baron and Chelsea Clinton. Baron Trump and Chelsea Clinton. I don't want to hear any other. <laughs> I will be there front row. Can you see the final there you wedding go. that's going to happen in oh, 2099, or just there's going to be no more after that? That's going to be there the will last be no more weddings. <laughs> The ultimate wedding. 
that is that is that is how the world ends not with a bank bank, but with oh man um with the bank (laughs) uh yeah so i don't know of anybody in the marvel universe right now that's like a big couple that's like dating so they're gonna fast track a wedding in 2018 i think is what's gonna happen or the other thing that i thought is they might bring the the Peter Mary Jane marriage back in some oh, wait, way, they're, which they're I just think teasing would, uh, a wedding of the century. Would, like they're 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 not saying which it. characters it's going to be. Yeah, it just said wedding of the century, and it had um like a picture of like Scott and Jean getting married, and like when when Storm and uh and T'Challa and T'Challa got married, um like a couple other people on there. But yeah, I don't know of anybody that's like hardcore dating that is at that point this yet. Feels like when uh when movies now like they release a trailer for the trailer. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, speaking of trailers for the trailers, y'all see the the Deadpool uh, Bob Ross thing that came out. The like, I'm so the... happy for Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> like, oh, I don't really like would... Deadpool that much. I, I think, yeah. um the current run with is it Gary or Jerry? Gary Duggan, right? I think it's Jerry. Yeah, his run on Deadpool, I think, has been one of like the most consistent things in Marvel for the past five years. Mm-hmm. But. I really don't care about the character that much. I'm just so happy Ryan Reynolds gets to like make his shit post on the internet now. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. It was like a, the trailer for the trailer for Deadpool two, And like Ryan Reynolds is just pretending like he's Bob Ross the whole time. If you haven't watched mm. it yet, it's hilarious. Um, I, I blurted out laughing in the library and a lot of people stared at me and it was very embarrassing. Um, anyway, so weird weddings, maybe Peter, Mary Jane coming back uh nick you got any thoughts on on wedding fun no no <laughs> no great um, i think i've got an ultimate theory okay um it's the wedding of the century mm-hmm. all the like the lights are up on the big fancy church or whatever that they've got set up and there in her dress is gwen stacy <laughs> down comes the aisle one norman Osborn. oh god uh oh. what was it sins past part three yeah. yeah yeah uh sins past part three more sins um i just really want marvel to like tease like bringing back mary jane and peter for like four months and just drop sins past part three sin harder <sighs> sin sin more harder more better more now uh isn't anyway. it awesome that like someone at marvel said they should do a storyline where apropos of nothing, it should be revealed that Gwen Stacy hooked up with Norman Osborn and that person wasn't immediately sent to like Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. Or other prison. Or other prison. Hey, uh, Norman Osborn. I know there was an event with him written by Brian Michael Bendis. Oh, is there some news about Brian Michael Bendis in the news? Is there? Oh my gosh. Um, so the scariest, weirdest, most alternate dimension thing happened. So if you haven't heard this by now, uh, you must be like Grant Morrison and Alan Moore and you don't have the internet. Um, you're changing so, the boys on the way. And your, your carrier pigeon is, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it hits some delays there. Your changeling uh, boy hasn't appeared outside your shack to open his mouth and just present this podcast to you from his vocal cords perfectly. Damn. Yeah. So Brian Michael Bendis, our God of the Marvel universe um, has, has switched teams uh, a couple weeks ago. It was on a Tuesday. 
because I didn't do any of the classwork that I had to do before I went to class because I was freaking out about the fact that Bendis signed a multi-year, multifaceted, exclusive contract with DC Comics uh, and is leaving Marvel in December. I think he's tweeted since then in December and like he's still writing up until December. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. First of all, uh, like there used to be. I think the- I read. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. They're they're yeah, using the term multifaceted. It just mm-hmm. it's such strange wording, and I, Brian, the editor at multi, like the head editor at Multiversity, uh, was saying like he feels like that means uh, it's going to go into TV and film. But I feel like why not just say that? Why say multifaceted? But well, anyway. he's probably going to be able to write like two issues of Superman just to be able to say he wrote Superman. Yeah, that's facets. Yeah, I think that's the more facets. I, I think um, you are right about the film TV thing because I heard some rumor somewhere that he doesn't get any say anymore, really, into how Marvel does their films and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, even though DC is like a garbage, like trash fire when it comes to how their movies are like doing as a universe or whatever, uh, if Bendis can flip sides and turn that trash fire into a trash, like, can, then he's, that's pretty good for, like, his career. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, he, when, I guess when um, the Marvel Studios, like, Marvel thing split, and, like, the Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige and all them started reporting directly to the Disney people, Feige cut that, um, that like, creative committee that was made up of Bendis and some other writers. Because um, Bendis scripted that first post-credit scene in like the in the first Iron Man movie in 2008, the one that that Samuel Jackson comes by and he's Nick Fury and he's like, "I want to tell you about the Avengers Initiative." Um, Bendis wrote that. Kevin, and I think still he there? was. Yeah, okay. uh, uh, I remember he. W- there was I was reading some article and it was talking about he's been unhappy about not being able to do some film stuff. So I absolutely think that you know, as like as Jeff Johns kind of moves into this. Uh, more like film film related role that that Bendis may come in and fill some of those shoes that um that he's leaving behind and uh and it'll be really interesting um but that brings me kind of to the others oh go ahead Jane well I was gonna say that makes sense because he and uh Jeff Johns like are both basically the same kind of role as a writer of they can like kind of tackle the like this the big mythos of the universe or whatever. And it might mm. not be like super interesting, but they are kind of like holding down the fort. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think uh, somebody made an interesting point too. They kind of have that very dialogue heavy approach yeah. to, to all of their writing. Nick, you know, you're super excited. Yes. I'm super excited for uh, now that Bendis is going to DC, every Spider-Man movie going forward is going to have miles and is just going to be the mile show not starring Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. And I, yeah, two big things that I immediately thought when I saw like the news. Um, one, Bendis is no longer, like you said, going to be writing Miles. Like someone else is actually going to be writing him for in his solo series for the first time ever. Like nobody else has ever written the Ultimate Spider-Man series. So I'm excited about that. Um, but then mm-hmm. the other thing... Uh, like a lot of talk was going on about how Bendis was kind of like a, like one of the architects of Marvel, I guess. Was that like a, a term that people used to use? 
think yeah, so. so in, um, yeah, I think it was in 2010. They kind of came out and they said they're like the the fi- they're they're their five top writers, and it was and it was Bendis and uh, and Matt Fraction and Ed Brubaker and and Hickman and then and then Jason Aaron. And out of the five of those, Jason Aaron is the only <clears throat> excuse me the only the only architect that's still at Marvel. You also um, had uh, Kieran Gillen is no longer at Marvel. Uh, yeah, Kieran Gillen's not writing because he's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hickman's Hickman's not there. Gillen's just doing uh, Star Wars stuff. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick's not, you know, writing any comics there either. Um, yeah, like they've kind of they've they've turned turned that entire table in the last like five years. Yeah, so, yeah um, that's another reason I fell behind as I continue to litigate over the course of this podcast. My falling out with Marvel is that there's just not a lot of writers they have that I would full on like that I'm full on like, Oh, I need to buy your book. The way I felt. I think the last time I felt that was Tom King before he started Batman. (laughs) Oh, when he wrote vision, which is, which was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really good. Uh, we don't have to talk about his Batman on this podcast. Nick, looking back, like at just how Marvel has operated since like the sixties, uh, in the sixties, it was, mostly just uh you know stanley jack kirby and steve ditko uh doing almost all of their major books and then when you got into like the 70s you had a certain stable of writers and artists like the writers you had uh len ween you had uh marfa wolfman um i'm blanking on jerry conway um a few others that you know, would switch around on all their major titles. And I guess you could say those were sort of like the architects of that era. Um, and then in the 90s, mm-hmm. like late mm-hmm. 80s and early 90s, things became a lot more uh, artist-centric. And they had like their biggest artists, like Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarlane, that whole era. Um, so I, I feel mm-hmm. like it's interesting, at a certain point, Marvel went back to having like their writer architects, which were those five. Mm-hmm. And I feel like right now, things have really diversified and there's just a lot. It's more like what DC has been over the last few years where you have Jeff Johns being like the main creative sort of editorial head um, for pretty much every book, the entire line. And then every book has its own one writer and most writers only have one, maybe two books. And then I feel like that's what Marvel is turning into, which I mean, as far as I can see, they've never really been in a situation like that before where they have one person kind of overseeing everything. Um, But I I also feel like they haven't necessarily defined who that is yet. And that's kind of why the line feels Mm -hmm. like it's floundering right now. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a really good point. And I think that they're they're trying to make Jason Aaron that next Mm -hmm. big um like overarching whatever it was really interesting i i was thinking about this too um like all of bendis's books that he's been writing and he's had like five uh at marvel that he's been doing um and we'll talk about that talk about those in a second and kind of who gets to take over for some of those because i don't think that's in the conversation of bendis going to dc i think the people have been talking a lot about what books at dc is bendis going to write and not so much as who's going to start writing the books that bendis is leaving at marvel um but yeah, I think that like all of Bendis's books for the last couple years, uh, you know, like or last year or so post Civil War II, um, have they've all been their little kind of insular own little universe. Like none of his books crossed over with Secret Empire. Um, they're all kind of telling their own little self-contained narratives, and so I think it's really 
it's really interesting that um, like Bendis, who has been this the the it person at Marvel for the last what I think it's seventeen years, um, you know, is like at the end he was still writing a lot of books, but they were still these very kind of self contained stories. But then, um, but I do want to get into that. Yeah, at the same time, oh, like Bendis, I mean, he he headed a lot of events too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, he wrote like every every major event. I guess for the last. 10 years minus I would, I think civil war fear itself and like infinity and, and secret wars and secret. Yeah. Right. yeah oh. Between I um, think fear itself and yeah, between fear itself and civil war two, I think all the major crossovers were done by other people, but he still did a lot of crossovers and dark rain still really holds up. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, especially because it's one of those books that's like weirdly prophetic, especially in the part where Norman Osborn puts on like the new iron armor and he says, from now on, I'm the iron drumpf. And I was like, wow, that's. (laughs) Reading that back now, it's Norman Norman Osborn knew. He knew. Oh, man, we should we should listen to comics more. They're so prophetic. Not to turn uh, this into the Baron Trump podcast, but how funny is Baron Trump as Harry <laughs> Osborne? <laughs> Baron, like his girlfriend, I turned her into a monster and I got her pregnant. <laughs> the baby is probably. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It just had to be done. I can just picture Norman asking uh, Harry, like, what's your name again? Um, because because nobody knows her <laughs> anyway sorry bad jokes Gwen, Gwen whatever Gwen I don't I know you aren't you Harry's friend Gwen <laughs> good God um yeah so who fills who fills the Bendis power power vacuum who gets to write Miles now or or Jessica Jones we're now, gonna or, build I a think... giant swatter and we're gonna kill Spider Man with it I'm done. <laughs> This is we're gonna, we're gonna. Oh. No, keep going. No, I love it. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. Who are the? I could, sh- who, who could... I could shoot the skull, the scroll queen in the face on Fifth <laughs> Avenue and be elected president, and I was. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Oh. We live in a world where Donald Trump is president. Anyway. Um. Yeah, who are the who are the new Marvel architects? I guess Nick, what are your as we as we move into kind of this new this new age of of Marveldom? Who are those people? Yeah, that... so I I feel like the line is going to stay like the thing that I had said, where there's one main person, or at least I feel like they're going to promote someone and put them on more books so that they are that sort of one person, and then kind of let the line just be a lot more self-contained stories that kind of interconnect every now and then um but for that person i mean they put jason aaron Mm -hmm. on the legacy one shot so i feel like that's sort of marvel's way of pumping him a little more Mm -hmm. yeah no i think uh and and he's tweeted on a bunch of times too like whatever that one shot is leading to he's Mm going to be writing um so i think he's got some some big stuff down the road in in 18 um yeah, I think uh, like I think Kelly Thompson, you know, he's writing like Hawkeye. 
and some of those books, I think she's gonna she's gonna get to step up a lot. I think that people like like mm-hmm. Al Ewing, um, yeah, who I think Donnie is Cates pretty great. Uh, Donny Cates now. Um, I would say Ta-Nehisi Coates, but I feel like he's kind of just gonna get yeah. to stay in the Black Panther world, and and they're just gonna let him do whatever he wants with all those characters because which is not a bad because that's be. a whole great. Thing. No, of course not. And I think all those books are are really fantastic. Um, I would say Chip Zdarsky. I don't really know how I feel about Zdarsky's Marvel stuff or like his like serious Marvel stuff, I guess. But um, but I think he's one because he's writing the like the Marvel two, the two in one thing that's like with the you know Human Torch and and the thing that's gonna like kind of I think be the the catalyst to like officially bring back the Fantastic Four. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of these like young people that are going to get to step up. I think in this in this Bendis power vacuum, and um, and I think it's going to be a cool thing. Uh, the other really big piece of Marvel turnover news that came out, I think last week, is that uh, Marvel has a new editor in chief. So editor in chief Axel Alonso is um, is stepping down, and Marvel has hired uh, C. B. Sobulski Sobolski. <laughs> so I pronounce I'm really bad at it's names, pronounced Prejute. <laughs> Prejute. Okay. All right. We're going to go with that. CB Prejute. Ah. Gabadet. No. Um, yeah. He's somebody who um, has been working at Marvel, I think, for, for about a decade, has been doing some some editing stuff for them. It looked, he was the original editor on, uh, on Brian K. Vaughn's Runaways. Uh, and he's been. I guess doing some stuff overseas, like he's been uh, kind of some of their uh, like talent coordinator, trying to develop new talent and find new talent. Um, he's been living in Shanghai. It's what it um, some some of the articles on the internet said for the past couple of years. In exile, he's coming back to in exile, and now uh, he's returned to claim that. Now he's the prodigal. I wonder if that could. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder prodigal. if that's going to have any impact on yeah, something about their movies. Uh, just because Hong Kong is such a big movie industry. Like, I wonder if he's he's made any sort of connections. Like, I don't know exactly what he's doing in Shanghai, but I'd imagine it has something to do with his job. Yeah, I've been trying to... I was trying to find what the his actual title was. Um, and I can't find it. It was some kind of talent, something other. He was, like, in charge of doing some of the the Marvel um, stories or like the manga stuff that was coming out or like cultivating Marvel stories in like in that part of the world or anyway, people like him from what I can tell. Uh, And I think it's, that's always a nice thing. Um, And it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That was, we're moving into this new year that, that Alonzo's out and that some of those, some of those head people at Marvel, I guess for the last however many years are, are going out the window. I think Alonzo is the only one that I've ever seen talk about on the internet of Marvel, uh, like uh, being at the forefront of this, like, excuse me, seasonal model of comic book shipping, um, which I think is a dumb idea. Anyway, so maybe, I guess dumb in terms of like some of what, what James has been talking about of having like one big event, some things that don't matter, another big event, and then some more things that don't matter and just keep going uh, in that vein. And so I think, Hopefully, with this with this shift, we'll see kind of this return, maybe to um, at least a few years of kind of stable storytelling in a title, or a title being able to be fleshed out and tell its own stories before having to tie into the next big thing that that Marvel's doing. Because um, although I feel like Legacy's building to something and it's building to something big, 
uh, I don't know when the payoff for that is going to be. And um, yeah, I don't know. It feels like, I feel like we're entering, entering this. I was thinking about this last week. I feel like we're entering this new age of, of comic dumb. Like it feels like, like if the last, if the, the last whatever years have been like the modern age of comics and the, like the post watchman age of comics that like, maybe we're coming into like the, the, the new, the new different age, like the, like the reformed age of comics where it's like, it's this post post watchman world of mm-hmm. everything doesn't have to be dark and horrible and gritty. Yeah. I and know. I mean, the Marvel legacy and DC rebirth, they both have that sort of, I mean, they both tried to have that sort of, uh, like feeling of optimism and hope, you know, especially with the way that the movies have been going. And Mm -hmm. I feel like seeing what audiences want in there has made comics want to try and reflect that. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. 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 Yeah, But James, you got any thoughts on, uh, yeah. I mean, for me, the whole, like, like we're trying to be like good and positive and funny vibe doesn't always click with me just because with with the movies it feels like a kind of inhuman what do you want from us audiences kind of thing where if robert downey jr organically makes iron man funny because they had to throw out the script because using the mandarin was too racist uh and so they improvised most Mm -hmm. of the first movie and it became a genuinely like funny lighthearted thing uh, and it became successful mm-hmm. and everything else now has to be that kind of funny self-deprecating thing that came from the fact that they were improvising an Iron Man movie. Uh, yeah. I doesn't, it, it's like a kind of like it, like when suicide squad and justice league had a bunch of reshoots so they could make it funny reshooting a thing to make yeah. it funny. Doesn't always work. Um, and there's some like funny stuff in Marvel. I said earlier that I did, wasn't really into it, but Ryan North is still doing Squirrel Girl, right? That dude's mm-hmm. hilarious. Mm-hmm. And there's like, no, uh, there's a really good person on Twitter who talks about this a lot more in detail than I can. But it it's uh, at Space Twinks on Twitter. What's their real name? Make my man love. <laughs> <laughs> in my man uh, uh it's actually baron trump yeah baron um, trump on twitter was saying how um if you wanted to like actually make um to this effect um i'm, I'm just like shouting out uh colin space Wings on twitter just because uh they are much more like in detail than i am about this but if you wanted mm-hmm. to make Marvel comics funnier, there's a ton of talent like in web comics and stuff that doesn't mm-hmm. get really tapped into. Like Ryan North. Uh, yeah. that, sure. Right. Like, like Ryan North, who's like the exception. Um, I'm kind of rambling. No, here, yeah. I, are you saying that you do or don't like the way that Squirrel Girl has gone uh, in, in recent issues? I'm like I'm like playing with a lighter while like I'm considering <laughs> this answer. I is it like a a flick lighter? Mostly because I fell I fell off with Scroll Girl I fell off with Scroll Girl about halfway through, so I can't say like how accurate this is to like the entire run. Uh, and I hate to be that guy who's like I have a big opinion, even though I didn't finish reading the comic. But there's only so many hours in the day to like read comic books and still like have my life together, and then go on podcasts to have opinion about comics. Um. Yeah, that's the it's worst. the worst. 
I would have to say the worst. Oh. I would have to say that my general opinion with like funny-ish stuff is that it kind of hampers the ability for the story to go like into some like really cool, sincere, deep, deep places when the entire book is like lots of fun and funny and yeah. Uh, when we talk about the Punisher, I want to sort of get into that a little. Um, because I feel like there were some good examples of like it going, I mean, like when to use different types of tones. Um, but, uh, in terms of squirrel girl, I sort of, I agree. Like I can't read too much of it at once. There was a point where I had only two, like, uh, uh, Ryan North comics that I was reading. I was reading squirrel girl and Jughead, And even just reading both of those at once, like within the same month was way too much for me. Um, and I, I mean, I because it's very like yeah, like I like it every now and then. But if you if you're mm-hmm. exposed to too much of it, then it just stops being funny and it starts being really annoying. <laughs> and that's like that's nothing against him or his writing. Like he's uh-huh. yeah, he's he's great at what he does. But yeah, I just can't take too much of it. And especially when you try to put that sort of thing in more of your line, especially when it's done uh, synthetically. Um, or at least not synthetic, but inorganically. Um, yeah, it it doesn't turn out <laughs> well. Mm-hmm. Cool. But do you have any more, any more Bendis thoughts or any more big Marvel thoughts? No, none for me. All right. Well, cool. Well, no. well everyone, we're going to take a break. We're going to come hear word from uh, another fun multiversity podcast, and then we're going to come back after the break and, and talk some Punisher. All right. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at multiversitycomics.com. So let's dig deep. All right, and we're back. Uh, for this next half of the show, we're going to be tackling uh, an older Punisher story. Not really that old, a little bit older. Uh, every other podcast from here on out, guys, is going to be uh, sp- split up like this, where you know the first first podcast or whatever, so the last one is going to be current Marvel stuff, and the second one is going to be a look back at some older Marvel stuff. Like we said earlier, Netflix has put out last week uh, their new Punisher show. And so we're taking a look back um, at some acclaimed Punisher Max storylines. So it's the the first arc of Garth Ennis's Punisher Max book. Um, it's written, it's issues one through six. The arc is called In the Beginning. It's written by Garth Ennis with art by Louis LaRosa, inked by Tom Palmer, with uh, colors by Dean White. Um, so, so Nick, before we kind of get started, why don't you give, give our listeners just like a, a minute or two spiel of who, who is the, who is the Punisher? Yeah. So, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm, you know, not super familiar with a lot of Marvel characters, uh, Punisher complete blind spot for me, uh, before this. So I just went into Marvel unlimited and just read a bunch of different, uh, stories and um, James, you seem pretty well read on Punisher. So if you want to, do oh us- yeah, he's my dad. <laughs> awesome! Okay. I love the James Punisher. <laughs> uh, it's James <laughs> Castagnoli. 
That's the most psychotic detail about the Punisher that just gets dropped in the middle of, I think, Bourne, uh, that he mm. changed his last name so he could go to Vietnam for a third time. Yeah. The other yeah. great... Pa- the other- I... The other great detail about Punisher, it's that's what you need to know about him. The other thing you need to know is that he was studying to be a Catholic priest, but he couldn't do it because he couldn't for he had trouble forgiving people. So he couldn't be a priest. Awesome. Um Yeah, if any if anything, that's like that's the one thing you gotta be good at. So anyway. Yeah. He, he okay. just like someone would be like, uh, the other day I I, I hit a dog with a car and he would just start screaming in the confession booth. And they're like, Frank, you have to go to like Vietnam or something. You can't do this. Jesus doesn't want you. Okay. Nick. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm just going to go through, I guess the stories that I read and I guess sort of what I got from them out of who the Punisher is. And it's pretty cool how, uh, for in the beginning, I feel like Ennis really used a nice combination of all of these different interpretations. So uh, at the beginning, uh, his first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man 129 by Jerry Conway and Gene Colan, um, I felt like that was just like Punisher as the classic anti-hero. Uh, like he's someone he'll kill people, but he has a code. And uh, he gets like really mad at the other character that he's working with in the issue, Jackal, uh, because like he didn't want to kill this one person because it would have been an accident or... I mean, the the main thing that I got from that issue was that whole thing about how, like, he has a code, but he's, like, also a murderer. Um, so that was cool. And, um, yeah, so his first appearance was in Spider-Man, and he uh, he continued appearing in different Spider-Man issues for a little while. Uh, this was in the early 70s. And um, then in the mid-80s, he got a miniseries written by Stephen Grant and with art by Mike Zeck. And um, that one I thought was really great. Um, It was really engaging. It played kind of like an 80s action revenge movie, Uh, really suspenseful. It was just a nicely paced story. Um, And it had Punisher teaming up with an organization to uh, sort of uh, work with them to stop crime. and in here, it really uh, made a point of showing his past with his family and uh, like his connection to how he was in Vietnam. Um, and that series was so popular that it ended up, uh, I mean, you can see like at the time, mid 80s, like late 80s, early 90s, like that Punisher character became like half of characters in comics. Um, just like that anti-hero, hero who kills, carries around a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so Punisher, from that one miniseries, he ended up getting like three different ongoings, a magazine, a whole bunch of miniseries and one shots. And uh, he was just everywhere in late 80s, early 90s. Um, I didn't read much of that because I didn't realize it was on Marvel Unlimited because um, I, was, <laughs> I was just looking under Punisher. I didn't realize it was actually listed under The Punisher. Um yeah, so for oh. those looking, the uh, 90s stuff is in the T section. But um, yeah, that's where he got his uh, his sidekick uh, microchip and the guy who uh, supplied him with his weapons and all that. Um, and then in the 2000s, uh, they had Welcome Back, Frank. Uh, James, do you have any anything to uh, I do. Add? I do want to – I do have some stuff I want to add. Uh, in the 90s, 
there's so much bad stuff that happens with Punisher. Um, one is, I forget the exact context of it, but I think in order to go under disguise, he does have an operation where he has his race changed from white to black. Um, <laughs> yeah, written by Mark That Barron. happens. Mark Maron, what? <laughs> M- M- no, Mark Barron with, or, sorry. Um, oh, I thought he, Mike, Mike Barron. Barron. Baron, Baron, oh, Trump. Baron Trump. Baron Folks, Trump. I've got this idea. You would not believe. Whenever I wake up, I think to myself, why am I white? And with this discount code, folks, you'll be able to go. <laughs> go to www.racechange.com. Enter uh, WTF. Get 50% off your first race change surgery. My buddy here, Frank Castle, uses it all the time. And that's the end of the skit. Uh, so after... There ends up being a, another series where Frank becomes reluctantly becomes the boss of a mafia family for some reason. And then in the most 90s uh, take possible, Frank is enlisted by the angels of heaven to become God's divine punisher. And that ends up being picked up in Welcome Back, Frank, which you just mm-hmm. mentioned by Garth Ennis. And uh, was that Steve, Steve Dillon? Dillon. Yeah. Steve Dillon, yeah. Uh, where in the first issue, he's like, I had the chance to be reunited with my family in heaven. I was like, no thanks, and it came back down. Uh, mm-hmm. And that leads, to, and Welcome Back Frank is uh, Garth Ennis taking the Punisher back to basics in a way. Uh, it's a 12-issue miniseries where Frank is just a completely nothing-behind-the-eyes, stone-cold serial killer, uh, but he's placed in the context of the Marvel Universe where he has to deal with Spider-Man, Daredevils running around. There's He, like, punches out a polar bear at one point so that it'll get mad and eat his enemies. It's, yeah. like, a very straight-laced, crazy dude. Um, he got mad at it for, you know, uh, endorsing yeah, Coke. Yeah, so. He's uh, He went uh, full-on anarcho-communist. Um, it was a whole time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you sold out! You sold out, you polar bear! <laughs> Just a crazy man screaming <laughs> in the street. Uh, but like, speaking of crazy man screaming in the street, uh, Welcome Back Frank leads to, I think it was uh, Garth Ennis does, I want to say 37-ish other issues of this version yeah. of Punisher, which is very over-the-top, very violent, but also very funny. Um, yeah, and that's like, mm-hmm. that was, like my thing with Welcome Back Frank. I At first, I didn't necessarily find it Funny, I guess because I wasn't expecting it from the stuff that I had read before. Then once I like really got into the groove, it was a twelve issue series. Those things just flew by. I read the whole thing in like two sittings. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it was just so much fun. And uh, I'm not usually into like uber violent stuff like that, but it was just it really focused on how absurd the whole concept is of the Punisher and of. Uh, like just that sort of character existing in the same universe as all these superheroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, I, and eventually uh, Ennis gets like kind of, I want to say tired with, maybe not tired. I don't know what he was up to, but after a substantial run of Marvel Knights Punisher, which is the one where he's punching out um, polar bears he has a villain called the Russian, who's this gigantic dude who gets decapitated and then has his hand, head uh, planted onto the body of a gigantic woman. Uh, and he talks about how much he loves touching his boobies while Punisher throws him off the Empire State Building. Like, 
after that series ends, we get Punisher Max, which is what we all read uh, as part of our like reading homework series. Uh, what did you think of in the beginning? Because I'm someone who's uh, been like a stand for uh, Punisher Max for like at least like three years now. Um, it's my favorite Marvel comic, probably. Okay. Um, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't read any of it, and I haven't read very much Punisher stuff um, in general. I think the only other Punisher series besides what we read for today is I read most of um, Becky Cloonan's recent run uh, until after, basically until after Steve Dillon started, stopped doing um, all the art stuff because, you know, he tragically passed away. Um, So my level of familiarity with the character is like pretty low, but uh, this is like some some dark, intense stuff. And I really... It gets it gets crazy. I I really enjoyed it actually. So um so when I was reading this, I uh, Nick clued me into um guys. So we we read. I think we all read it, uh, this version of this book out of Marvel's been recently reprinting um, all of Garth Ennis's Punisher Max stuff, and I think in like four different volumes. But if you go on Comicsology, uh, Comicsology has a Comicsology Unlimited thing that you can sign up for, and they have a, a month free trial uh, where you can read you know i think they have some trades and some other like single issues from a bunch of different companies on there and stuff but this is one of the ones that's on there for free um and yeah and i read like the introduction that garth Ennis has at like the beginning of the whole uh volume because this first volume collects like the first or collects all of punisher born and then collects like the first 12 issues of punisher Punisher or the punisher max stuff i did not i didn't have enough time to go back and read it but I, i i do plan to i want to but he has this, Garth Ennis has yeah, this yeah, whole thing. I read uh, but... Punisher Born, and that, like, especially coming right after Welcome Back, Frank, that was just a completely different, mm-hmm. like, it was... Oh, not even fair. Yeah, like, it was about Frank in the Vietnam War, and uh, just absolute worst of humanity. At, like, I'd say the stuff there was even darker and bleaker than in the beginning, because there were, like, absolutely no jokes in there. Yeah. Um, because in the in the beginning is still more or less a Marvel comic story. Um, slight spoilers for the first arc of a run that came out like a dec or like around a decade ago. Um, Punisher gets contacted by the CIA uh, while he's like massacring mobsters, and they're like, "We want you to be part of the War on Terror." And Frank is like, "Abs, what? No, I'm doing my own thing." And the CIA ends up recruiting Microchip, who is the only other Marvel character who shows up in that run besides Nick Fury. Uh, and it ends up becoming naturally just becoming a huge disaster of bullets and gunfire and death because CIA gets involved. The mob gets involved. Frank gets involved. Uh, it's a total bloodbath. And from a, from the welcome back Frank transition into in the beginning, it's not that it's a jarring transition but it still feels like a marvel comic because there's like some jokes and stuff um it's a little lighthearted, and then you get to punisher born and ennis is like always so so serious about vietnam mm-hmm. uh especially because uh preacher had like i think two story arcs where they have a uh, vietnam flashback but yeah it's yeah just four issues of the most somber um just the darkest places like humanity goes and 
it makes Frank Castle make so much sense because it's not just the snap. Oh, my family's dead. I'm going to go murder the world. It's, it really shows you where he came from and what, how Mm -hmm. that led to him being the Punisher. Whereas his family being murdered was either just like either the final straw that break broke or an excuse. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. within the beginning, Mm -hmm. okay. So for born, even though it was so dark and uh, super, super serious, uh, I still really liked it. I thought it was a good experience um, reading it. But then my first time reading in the beginning, so like I read all of what I've explained before over the course of like three or four days. Um, I just had a few days off. So I just marathoned all of it. Um, Whenever it got to in the beginning, I didn't like it. Um, I was like, "What? what is this? Especially... Uh, the introduction that Kevin mentioned in that paperback, um, like the Punch Max Complete Collection Volume 1, um, I felt like it was, mm-hmm. and it's, I felt like he got a little pretentious and a little uh, like, ooh, now I can create serious comics. And it's funny because in the, uh, yeah, yeah in, in that introduction, he even talks about like laughing at the people who were pretentious about like writing serious comics, but that's basically just what he did here. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, so that, that first time I didn't really get it. I read it again um, last night and this morning. Um, Not, not twice, like half and half. Um, But yeah, on, on this read through, I I really got what he was going for. And I saw how he kind of put together all of these different interpretations into one. And um yeah, I liked it. I'd still say that it was probably my least favorite of all the stuff that I read. Fair. I mean, as someone who's yeah. read the whole thing, I think in the beginning is probably the least memorable of that mm-hmm. run. Um, it's also... It's hard to talk to because stuff like The Slavers, The Cell, uh, Long Cold Dark, and Valley Forge, Valley Forge, those last two are... Which I think are part three of the collection are mm-hmm. just so good at tying everything about the Punisher together into a storyline that like goes back decades. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil that much because I really want you guys to read mm-hmm. Valley Forge, Valley Forge. Cause it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and mentions that in the introduction. I, I did, I do think that he sounds kind of pretentious in the whole introduction thing, but I really liked like the, in the beginning of that, in the beginning, in the beginning, ha ha ha. Um, at the, at the Valley Forge, Valley Forge, Valley Forge, yeah, blah, blah, blah. at the first part of Valley Forge, Valley Forge, Valley Forge, <laughs> Valley Forge, Valley Forge, Valley Forge, Valley Forge, Valley Forge. Okay, I can say it five times without it's no. Baron Trump, Baron Trump. <laughs> um, he he talks about uh like listening at this Comic Con to like one of the other um whoever the, was the writer of the Punisher at the time, and he says in the second paragraph of that introduction, he says his take on the subject was a simple one. The Punisher was a violent character in a violent story, he said. But the violence neither made the world better nor relieved the character's torment. Frank Castle, the Punisher, was not a happy man and never would be. In short, he was careful to make clear when writing the book that violence solved nothing, at least in the long term. Um, yeah, and that I totally, totally got that on the second read-through. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after having more of a chance to think over all the other stuff, like... Comparing it to in the beginning, or sorry, not in the beginning. Um, Welcome back, Frank. Um, like he really didn't make any sort of point. It was just here's some violence. It's really over the top, so you don't take it seriously. And that was cool. Um, yeah. Well, that's. But then, yeah, in the beginning, 
it was serious, but he also had a point. Well, that's one of Ennis's big things is that he loves doing superhero stuff where he's just making fun of the superhero. Mm -hmm. uh, like in Hitman in DC, I think the only uh, character guest star who didn't look like a complete asshole by the end of it was Superman, uh, which was that beautiful issue where he sits on the rooftop and talks to Hitman. Yeah. And it was, I think that's what started with Punisher where... He's like, oh, this is just fun and stupid and a chance for me to be, like, fun and stupid on with, like, the Marvel Universe. And then somewhere along, he, like, found the humanity of Frank Castle and was like, oh, I need to, like, put this in its own universe because it doesn't make so much sense if, like, you have Punisher and, like, the Fantastic Four right next door. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what Punisher Max becomes. And it's, it's just really interesting for to see Garth put so much attention and focus on Frank's characterization mm -hmm. over the course of like 60 issues and like three, like two miniseries or something. Well, yeah. with, um, that's also something I found strange, especially in my first read through of in the beginning. Um, a lot of it isn't actually about Frank. It's about the world that he's in. And it's about, I mean, most yeah. of it is just a lot of the uh, gangs and the people hunting him uh sorry not gangs i guess the the mafia and the uh i think it was a, like a special task force or was it the cia yeah, i consider the cia, I think it's CIA yeah okay yeah so those two people uh those two groups uh most of the story was about them he says like he has probably the least amount of lines of any character in the whole book um but yeah mm -hmm. it's about like this is the world that he lives in and this is the world that he operates within and he they make the point that like he doesn't necessarily what he does doesn't really make it any better or worse mm -hmm. um so there's kind of that nihilistic angle to it and he just does it to do it yeah 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 we've talked a lot about about garth Ennis's, um writing on this on this story and i know there's a a, a lot of different artists on mm -hmm. in the entirety of punisher max but uh what do y'all think about about lewis uh, larosa's La art on this on this first arc on in the beginning yeah, that. I think it works really well. I think the that first shot where they reveal uh, Micro as uh, the CIA's informant on Punisher is so. What what his art style does for me is from the contrast between Steve Dillon, who does Punisher Max stuff later on. Right. Uh, you get that nice transition of this is a much greasier world. This is a mm -hmm. like. It is like the kind of grittier, different universe compared to what you expect from the Marvel universe, but not in a like gross. This ain't your daddy's Punisher. Like, this is a more real world. Welcome to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I. So I'm kind of of two minds. On one hand, I feel exactly what you said. Um, how it was, I really, really understood. <laughs> After reading in the beginning, I understood how much. Uh, how important Steve Dillon's uh, art was in uh, Welcome Back, Frank, uh, just because he was able to make it so wacky and fun. But then, like, this art is, like, complete real world, like you said, like, greasy, uh, just gritty, serious. Um, but uh, on the other hand, I didn't like his layouts at all. Um, and this is kind of a pet peeve. Yeah. I don't like, uh, like, that widescreen paneling where, like, the panel's... It, every single panel on every page takes up the entire width of the page. Um, yeah. And then it's mostly in 
I mean, not exactly a grid, but like basically just between four and six widescreen panels on every single page. Um, I feel like mm -hmm. when you do that, you're not using the medium to its fullest. I feel like you're trying to make it film, which it's not because film has like, film has editing and sound and comics rely on uh, the unique layouts that you can create on a page in order to uh, tell the story better. So uh, yeah, I feel like the story was kind of hampered in a way because of that choice in the art. Sure. I just want to say that um, I'm, I messed up. Steve Dillon doesn't uh, do anything with Punisher Max, I think, at least. No, he doesn't. But Goran, Goran Parlov comes in around when they uh, introduce Barracuda. Mm -hmm. And his art style, I think, is the quintessential Punisher Max look. Yeah, I think that's, and he's the one doing that that new um, Punisher story with yeah, with the platoon, which is really interesting so far. Okay, okay, um, yeah, I Pick it up. there you go. I really like um, Lewis or Larosa, um, like in other settings. Like he's he's doing a lot for for Valiant now. Like he's done a lot of art on the like on, on Bloodshot Reborn with Jeff Lemire, and I think he's done some on this on Bloodshot Salvation. I think he's one of the current artists on it too um but i think that the and i think that that you're right nick i think think some of the some of that paneling stuff um kind of kind of is a disservice like i think the the first issue like the first couple pages is a, a little the layouts are a little wonky um with that narration and stuff but i think that uh like i think all of it is is you're right it's like that that greasy dirty kind of lived in sort of world um and i think like that's really really powerful like one of the really interesting things that i think larissa does throughout the whole uh six issues is that you never get a a really good look at frank's face like his eyes are mm -hmm. always still blacked out um and like his like his like distinguishable features are always kind of blacked out and i think that's really powerful and like like there are there's some punisher stories i think that, that people have written that like that i've read about that like kind of humanize frank in some ways and this story goes like the complete opposite direction. I think that that really adds yeah. adds to that. And in that way, it makes Frank make a lot more sense than if you try to like show a soft, sensitive side. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. No. Yeah. Like when, and I think it's an issue uh, three or four. Whenever like like Micro is showing him the like the pictures of his family and like trying to get him and on this crusade that. Um, the, like with the CIA to basically go fight terror and like wage wage war his own way, but just under the like the CIA's belt. And Nick tells him to fuck off. Um, like I think that all of that is like really really powerful, and I think all of that that imagery is powerful. And I think the Rosa does a really good mm -hmm. job, like in those in those settings, like in the like the dark, dehumanized, gritty setting. Yeah. Um, and. And I feel like Garth also does a good job of like putting in like some writing and stuff that reminds you, hey, because it, I feel, I feel like it is easy to empathize with the Punisher version, the Max version of Frank, because he, you just like kind of empathize with him because he is like a guy trying to like kill all these like people who are doing unquestionable wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much everyone in the Max comic is like a mustache twirling villain who is getting what's coming to them. Mm -hmm. But then every once in a while you get a line like, uh, I just pulled this up, only now putting automatic fire into a human wall do I feel something like peace. 
uh, yeah. when Frank is like mowing down the mafia with like an assault rifle. Yeah, that that struck me to reading it earlier, and especially just um, like in light of like the past few months and everything else. Yeah. Uh, like it's that was that was crazy, um, but I think yeah, like I think that that this version of of the Punisher um, is like is not not human at all. And it raises a really interesting question too, um, of like, who is, who is really the villain of this story? Um, like, so we have, we have Frank at the beginning mows down and kills, um, like a ton of people in the mob. Uh, and then the mob tries to retaliate and the CIA is trying to recruit Frank and it, and it ends in this big showdown of just everybody trying to kill Frank because he screwed both of them over. Um, but all of them do, do and perpetuate these horrible and terrible things like who is who is really the like the villain like the villain in this show? like like frank is like the protagonist like obviously, well, i think that's but... why it's important it's important that they put so much focus on vietnam because like the trauma that frank has what like drives him does for most of it come from vietnam there's like another story arc uh one shot they have uh called tiger uh called tiger Mm-hmm. where it shows Frank kind of having his, like, first instincts as a kid. Uh, I don't want to spoil that one, because that one is straight up amazing. I think it's in the fourth volume of the new collection, but okay. w- with Vietnam, and especially when you get later on into Valley Forge and Long Cold Dark, when they start to tie in everything together, including Bourne, Frank kind of just becomes this like symbol of someone who crawled out of Vietnam, who crawled out from this war that had no point, had no purpose, but still killed like so many people and disfigured way more. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Mm -hmm. he's just like, we just welcome, like he just comes back to American society, like to America to like quote civilized society and it's supposed to like just be okay again, Mm -hmm. but he's not. And it ends up being, it kind of becomes like a like the government setting like a monster loose and then it coming back to bite them which is exactly what happens when the cia comes to try to recruit frank at the start of the story have you guys um ever seen the documentary hearts and minds no okay Uh -uh. so it's uh it's about soldiers i guess post vietnam war but it's all it's about like how the Vietnam War sort of shaped them and just all the regret uh, that like everybody on every side felt afterwards. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where like most of my uh, knowledge about the Vietnam War comes from. (laughs) And uh, yeah, this, I really, really got the feeling in throughout this story, like he was just like those people um, in terms of, yeah, you hit the nail. On yeah, the exactly. Just in terms of how it that's where later on, um, the overall like main villains of the story are uh, become this group of generals who uh, come to hunt down Frank in the last uh, story arc for reasons I'll explain that you'll read later probably. But they have mm-hmm. a conversation with Nick Fury where uh, he's talking to one of them in a restaurant, and on the TV in the back, there's uh, footage of. Uh, footage from Iraq and he says something to the effect of you're doing it all again you're creating a war where like no one's going to come out from this okay like no one's going to come out proud mm-hmm. or something but to I, that effect and I don't I mean I'm not like an expert on uh, public 
uh, public opinions towards wars, but I feel like almost everybody in America who knows anything about the Vietnam War uh, thinks of it as just like, oh, that one like absolutely huge, widely recognized mistake. Um, so I feel like it's, yeah. it's really important that it was the Vietnam War. And I mean, I guess we'll get sort of into this when we talk about the TV show. But um, yeah, I just think it's cool that the Punisher Max series, like specifically made it about this other Frank who isn't in the Marvel uni- universe so that he could age in real time, uh, who still was connected to that mm-hmm. specific war. Yeah. 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 yeah so please read Punisher Max because it's so, so good. Don't read the Jason Aaron <laughs> one, but the Garth Ennis Punisher Max is 60 issues of like really good stuff. Even yeah, though it's yeah. problematic as hell. Yeah, yeah, and and it it begs a lot to like to think about what like what this character means, um, like in twenty seventeen too. Like that's what I was thinking about, and the a lot in the first issue, and a lot when I read Ennis's introduction of like what is what is what does a Punisher mean in in the age of of like America's deadliest mass shooting happening every six months and continuously like. And, and and it begs the question too. I mean, like when uh, when New York Comic Con happened, like they pulled all the Punisher stuff from New York Comic Con because of, um, I think it I think it it's crazy that I have to remember which mm-hmm. mass shooting happened in October, but I think it was I think it was Vegas, um, and yeah, and they pulled all of it because I'm imagined that it was like very like insensitive at that point. And so yeah, it's just it's it's interesting to me like when you see people who who glorify characters like Frank Castle or or characters like Rorschach or character these other ultra violent um characters that are not really ideals to no. strive for but are just like these broken characters um like I know I said like earlier you put that, those ideas on a pedestal yeah no, I was no just, go ahead I was just saying earlier I said that the Punisher was my dad but he's not a character mm-hmm. you're supposed to like love he's a character that you're supposed to be afraid of like he's right. the embod like the Punisher Max version of Frank Castle is the embodiment of the damage and trauma of like Vietnam and every other pointless war, more pointless than usual war that's happened over the past century, personified into mm-hmm. one person who, like whatever cosmic forces won't let him die. Uh, yeah, he's horrifying. Which is why I love mm-hmm. him. Like, no matter. Yeah, <laughs> trying not to get into personal politics here, but in terms of the image of sure. the character, like lone man with a gun setting out to quote, do what's right. Um, I feel like that's a, that's oh, a very yeah. conservative image of power, you know, whereas I feel like people who are more yeah. moderate and more liberal, um, they tend to see that as something to fear. Um, and I just think that's really interesting, especially looking at who has written the Punisher, uh, like in the nineties, uh, Mike, Mike Barron, not Baron Trump, uh, Mike Barron and uh, and uh, what's his name Chuck Dixon, uh, both of them are writing for mm-hmm. that alt right comics publisher now. Um, and I wait, is Chuck Dixon writing for the alt right? Yeah, I'm not surprised, but oh no, <laughs> Chuck. Yeah, yeah. So it's. I think you mean that that all right that publisher. all right. Like there, there are there are. No, that's not what I mean. Screw it that. is what anyway, you mean. Yeah, Welcome so. to uh, Make My Multiversity, Multiversity's only far-right podcast. 
no no uh yes, yes. make mine multiversity does not does not support the anyway whatever uh okay so, yeah, a, keep going it's just a, an an interesting thing to to note um but also like you guys were saying um when i first read the story uh i really i had a lot of those thoughts also like what does this character mean today what does it mean like in terms of gun control and all that um ultimately my conclusion mm-hmm. was it, it kind of doesn't mean anything because i mean if you're looking at it in terms of gun control debate like microchip was the one supplying him with his equipment he gets it but like i think in in some sometimes he makes his own equipment sometimes he can just get it from the black market is that correct james yeah it's mostly black or he also um appropriates a lot of tech that he picks up from like mafia strength okay. uh, strong houses yeah, so so he'll like slaughter a mafia family take all their guns and then slaughter the next family okay. with it yeah so i mean that doesn't really give any weight to either side i mean okay it doesn't give any pro gun control uh like anything to back that because i mean gun control is about the legislation around guns and i mean if he's going around the legislation then there's it doesn't really mean anything um but then i was also thinking in terms of just the punisher as a story um and i mean especially when you're looking at it as a comic book like it's just this printed drawings on a page um my dog is barking sorry i think someone's at my door um uh (laughs) it's it becomes kind of like an argument about like violence in video games or action movies. And I mean, the overwhelming consensus is it doesn't exactly influence people the way that people fear it could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think yeah. Punisher is like the new moral like threat to our children or whatever. I do get concerned because uh, I saw like an article about cop cars that put the Punisher skull on their car. Um, there's right. like a fire station near me that has like a Punisher skull on their fire truck, which is like, are you going to punish the flames, bro? That's actually kind of cool. Now that I take <laughs> that back, I want to take that back. Uh, the Punisher skull on the fire truck near my apartment is actually rad as hell. Just imagine <laughs> Frank like screaming at a fire anyway, but there is that kind of like you said, um, idea of power that people like where we can take out the law into our mm-hmm. own hands and you should be afraid of authority even though those people would be like frank castle's first targets and that was also sure. first uh, against the law and is touched on that in both welcome back frank and in the beginning uh welcome back frank there's a subplot throughout the whole thing about these three people yeah who oh, yeah <laughs> each of them has a completely different uh like slightly twisted uh moral like philosophy uh, that's different from Frank's, and he, mm-hmm. I mean, spoilers, uh, skip ahead five seconds, but um, yeah, he ends up just killing them all in the end because they are uh, misinterpreting the reasons you should kill people that he sees, and I think it that also kind of highlights his own hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, guys, we have a, a a treat for all of you watching. So all of us watched, I'm speaking for myself, I watched at least the first episode of the new Punisher show on Netflix. Y'all may have watched more. Um, and we were going to give a little just like five minute, here's what we thought. 
is it worth binging the rest of it? Um, and yeah, so guys, what did y'all think? Of, so the first episode's uh, it's titled 3 a.m. Um, what did y'all think of this this okay, first, first really quick Punisher have you guys outing seen for Netflix? Daredevil season two. Yeah, it's incredible. Okay, I only watched the first episode of that. Daredevil season um, two uh, solidified how much I love Frank Castle. Okay. Yeah. So my uh, really quick, just okay. a thought on that because it'll kind of lead into the puncture discussion. Um, that first episode of Daredevil season two, um, there's oh, yeah. a scene where Frank shows up in a hospital yeah. and he he's like walking through and like mm-hmm. he's just this lone man with a gun about to shoot up hospital. And they really, really sensationalized that scene, I thought. And I really wasn't sure how to think about it. Um, but I'm sure... You know, as you go on throughout the season, it becomes a little different. But um, yeah, the watching the from actual Punisher. <laughs> the takeaway I took from that scene was that it was Frank. The way it's framed is obviously like reminding you of certain like shooters. But mm-hmm. the way the way I not to like well actually it, but mm-hmm. the way it was framed, I thought uh, Frank had like was just opening fire indiscriminately in the hospital so he could find out where the room the guy he was looking for was. So he was, like, mm-hmm. playing into the fear of a mass shooter, but he's still, like, super calculated and doesn't, like, have any collateral at all when it's actually very exact and stuff, which mm-hmm. is, like, probably not realistic, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, a problematic scene. It's clearly very... Like, the character is very different from... Uh, of an actual mass shooter who is random and unpredictable. Um, but they definitely tried to play up people's mm-hmm. fear on that. And yeah, it may be <laughs> uncomfortable in the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the, the actual, so sure. the actual first episode sure. of the Punisher show, uh, probably because it had a lot more development of the character itself. Um, I didn't so much get that feeling. Um, Mm-hmm. yeah it mm-hmm. it was also just the fact that like this is the real world and not like like i was saying before like it's not we're not just looking at drawings on paper and reading them uh there's not that sort of distance i mean there's the distance between you and the screen that you're watching it on but i mean you're still watching real people do these things um yeah so right. my my over the, my overall thoughts on the uh actual punisher episode um i liked it a lot <laughs> um I I don't know. Do you guys want to give some overall thoughts? Yeah. Uh, sorry. I generally liked it. Sure, yeah, um, James. Go ahead. I was kind of... One of the reasons I was excited with uh, Daredevil Season 2 is I thought, oh, this is going to be great because this is kind of filling in for the Punisher's origin story. And if we ever get a Punisher TV show, it will just be... We can just, like, go right into it. And... Episode one is Frank being like, right. I've killed everyone I need to, which is not a Frank Castle thing to say. Uh, and so he's like <laughs> getting his way out of retirement with my mm-hmm. bro dragging him back to being the Punisher. So my first thought is like, oh, it's kind of lame that I'm yeah. going to see Frank like have to go through everything and become the Punisher again. But I'm John Bernthal is still like incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm really liking the supporting cast and stuff, so I think I'll be fine. I haven't finished the show. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think John Berthold is a 
I have, I've only watched the, the first episode. I think John Murthel is a great, um, like a great Frank Castle. Um, it was really interesting to like to read in the beginning and see like a like fully realized um, like Frank Castle, and then watch this episode and see like Frank in retirement, sort of, and like con. Yeah, but yeah, like contrast those two ideas because I, I, I do think Ennis Ennis's Punisher is different from like Bernthal's Punisher, at least in that episode, and maybe he grows into um, this more just like no, I am I am violence, I am I am this thing, um, but I thought I mean I thought it was like it was violent and it was it was pretty cool. I thought like that first episode, the scene where he is like shooting and fighting all those people <laughs> okay. and like he like puts the lights off was like a great action sequence um yeah like the all the netflix shows have a lot of really good action sequences like the the hallway scene from the first season of daredevil and just a a bunch of other stuff that like is very well like very well directed and and developed um and yeah i i would uh, i would want to watch more i'm intrigued i hopefully in the next couple weeks like as i move into christmas break we'll have some time i'm gonna try to binge all the the MCU Netflix stuff because I haven't watched uh, any of it were since the first a few, season. Like kind of, I guess a little weird moments, and they were kind of like very TV show, um, <laughs> like the the moment where like those guys at the construction site like they walk up to him, they're like sort of like bullying him. It felt like they were like just like middle school girls just like teasing each other, and mm-hmm. then like all of a sudden they like kick over his lunchbox and step on his sandwich. Oh yeah, and I was thinking like, well, he's not going to kill them. Like he's eye for an eye. What's he going to do? Step on their sandwiches? And then obviously it, it gets. I was just worse. There's <laughs> a, he, there's a great yeah. transition in Punisher Max where, without spoiling it, uh, Barracuda shoots something that means a lot to Frank, and you don't see Frank's immediate reaction because it's the final splash page of an issue. The very next issue mm-hmm. picks up with Frank in bed recovering from a coma because he got so crazy and got his ass so beat, and I really just wanted a scene of someone stepping on the PB and J and the next shot is Frank in the hospital bed. I don't remember what happened after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Frank I think castle was discovered at a construction site this week when someone stepped on his sandwich. <laughs> My sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, God, yeah. It just gets, it gets so much worse. Cause then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he really yeah. steps on their sandwiches yeah. later with his sledgehammer. Um... <laughs> God, yeah that that final scene was really uh, gruesome and intense. It was almost too intense yeah. for me. Yeah, that was cool. Um, well, guys, any other any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Punisher is my dad. I can't wait for the episode where he investigates Pizzagate. I'm probably going to be there. <laughs> that's, uh, that's episode eight. Where's the um, basement? Show me the basement. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a joke, but that yeah, dude I'm, who I'm, shot I'm, up uh, Ping Pong Pizzeria, yeah. which we can joke about because he only shot a computer, uh, was def- <laughs> definitely was wearing a Punisher t-shirt. I am a guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Nick? Yeah, um, I don't know about reading more Punisher Max. Um, James, if there are certain like certain arcs that you think are the best, send over the names um, and I'll... Send over the memes. <laughs> no, no, the names, the names of the yeah. stories. Send over those dank memes. Um 
if if we can end on a light note, um, Steve Dillon was obviously an amazing artist and mm-hmm. genuinely is like in my top five. Uh, my favorite Punisher meme is people editing like Frank's face all over. Um, just look up Frank Castle face on the internet. It's a good time. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, well, guys, where can where can our listeners find you all on the internet? Uh, you can on find me at Jim Jam Johnston on Twitter. Uh, I'm an actor, and I'm doing uh, actor stuff in New York City. Uh, if you want, I think the most I'm doing a couple plays right now, but I think the most appropriate for this podcast is uh, Passion of the Frog. It is a quote meme musical experience. Uh, that's going to be at Much More in Williamsburg, December 7th to the 9th. Uh, let me see if my director has a synopsis. Here it is. Passion of the Frog, a meme musical experience, explores the, step, the story of Pepe that the public doesn't know. Our story begins at the height of Pepe's fame on the mainstream internet. However, Pepe is then struck with a disease that drains him of his meme magic. His popularity starts to dwindle. He and his best buddy, Drake set out on a journey to find an antidote for the disease and to find immortality on the internet. Is that like Drake Bell or like Drake, Drake the musician? Drake the musician. Okay, Drake. So that's Drake what, the musician. So that's, Got it. Uh, what I'm doing instead of reading comics. Come see it. Perfect. <laughs> cool. Nick, where can they find you on the yes, internet? You can find me at, uh, on Twitter at Limel232. That is L-I-M-E-L-232. Um, and yeah, there you'll see me tweet, uh, random thoughts and also about what I'm doing. Uh, I'm a writer. I currently working on writing some comics. So within the next year or two, you should be seeing those coming out. Um, I also write short films. Uh, we just finished, uh, bring one around to different festivals. If you live in South Florida, tweet at me and I'll let you know when we're having screenings. Very cool. Very cool. And you can find all three of us at, at multiversitycomics.com as well as our other podcasts on the Multiversity uh, Podcast Network. You can find me at KBGregory13 on Twitter, just uh, tweeting about comic stuff and other um, other whatnot and, and such. And yeah, cool. Well, guys, I appreciate y'all being on today. It was a blast. Yeah. Same. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks, guys. Peace out. Bye-bye.